the music of Time Shard. Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our February 17th, 2011 edition of the show. 4.13 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Before we get fully underway, I have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash rg. Larson. When we're not exposing toxic contrived realities here on Out the Rabbit Hole, we're exploring enchanted ones. Today we're going to do a bit of the latter by looking at the mystery of consciousness. We're going to look at the problem of defining it, play around with philosophical, fanciful, and scientific explanations of it, discuss different altered states of consciousness and what clues they may seem to hold to the conundrum and just get a little bit weird. I'm going to <laughs> have two in-studio guests. One is a friend, uh, Joe Collins, who has many intriguing insights about all of this. We've had some amazing discussions, which we will hope to bring to you over the air right now. The other uh, in-studio guest is Lauren, host of KUCI's Activism for Amateurs. She is here because of her status as adept in the realm of that most interesting altered state, the lucid dream. All right, Joe and Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, Irvine. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Lauren, uh, when your show is 8 to 9 a.m.? 8 to 9 a.m. We had it this morning. So every Thursday is Activism for Amateurs. Okay, and so uh, next uh, Thursday, 8 to 9 a.m. So what will uh, would people expect if they tune into that show? Next Thursday? Mm -hmm. uh, well, actually, today is um, hijab day. So um, those um, students who are not of the Islam tradition or religion get a chance to wear the hijab. Um, which is a, the scarf that you wear on your neck, and it's supposed to cover, like, everything on the body except for the wrists and the ankles or whatever. But, um, yeah, so we're going to talk about that. i um, going to interview some um, young ladies from Muslim Student Union and talk about the events that have been going on for their Islam Awareness Month. All right, cool. That sounds great. I mean, you know, there's just so much... Uh probably misinformation about all of that yeah it's definitely good to, to clear that up and uh yeah so in activism for amateurs what uh kind of inspired you to do that show i mean what why did you say ah, i need to do this well <laughs> as this um undergraduate student um here in uci i kind of felt that uh things are very much skewed towards the um conservative, you know, Irvine bubble, which is what they call it a lot here on campus. So I kind of wanted to have a show that catered to undergraduate students who are pursuing um, student leadership, student involvement, um, and also um, activism as well, but can't really get those kinds of um, resources on campus, like, you know, around where they are and things, unless you really go out of your way to learn about it. So I'm just talking about the things that are going on on campus to help students get more involved. And so, yeah, and, and here on Out the Rabbit Hole, we talk about a lot of political things, but we kind of talk about a lot of big picture things. And what you're doing is kind of real here and now and what things students can do to 
make some changes right in their immediate environment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which I, I respect that. That's a really good thing. Sometimes we, some of us lose focus of that, and so good, good that you're doing that. Thank All you. right. So, um, yeah, <laughs> let's get to the uh, <laughs> subject we've uh, decided for today. Uh, Joe, uh, you and I were talking about this last night, and it just became a really <laughs> fascinating <laughs> conversation. And that is the the difficulty in defining consciousness. And you, you had a, a, a lot of really good information about that, a, a little bit about the history. If you could go into some of that of what people did who were trying mm-hmm. to grapple with that and some of the things they came to and some of the things they did not come to and we still don't have answers for. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, Robert, our, our conversation really started more informative and actually looking into it more, there's just so much that's really not known. I guess it's more of a thesis. Uh, kind of some of the reading I've come across uh, more from a, a research standpoint has up until about 10 years, uh, the 1990s, early 1990s, there's been the first kind of attribu- attributing to the science of neuroscience to consciousness. But that's not that people have first or have recently first tried to explain it, of course. It's something that's been always asked throughout the ages. And before that, it's, it's really been an understanding of what religion, mysticism, and just reality as a whole has to do with the human body, you know. So I think maybe a good place to kind of start from where we left off last night was kind of more of a history, if, if, if you will. Uh, what people really understood, and this is kind of, it doesn't, it's kind of more of a linguistics approach of it doesn't matter where in the world you're, you're, you're really concentrating this on, but people like to explain things that they see up in, out in nature. And what people noticed is that the whole concept of consciousness was really associated with life. And if somebody wasn't living, then the consciousness was, was absent. Where did it go is a very relevant question, you know, so... Uh, what they started to see is maybe through more archaic means and maybe kind of harsh draconian means is if somebody was on the on the on the on the on the edge of of living or has been very has been injured mm-hmm. they've seen that uh the heartbeat very early on was something that once the heartbeat stopped the consciousness was gone the human being the is no longer a- immortal right so they noticed that, well, maybe a lot of life is concentrated about the, the heart. And over time, this kind of shifted to more towards what we kind of ex- see more into the, uh, the science, uh, the biological realm is concentrated more towards the head, right? In um, Eastern religion, um, if you're familiar with uh, this, you know, the six chakras, and which um, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on by, by no means, but I find very interesting is there's many centers in the body where energy and uh, events occur and that are stimu- stimulated by these, by these things and, and vice versa from, from life and then reflected back into oneself. Uh, there is, I guess, talk of really the glands as, as another is the, well, where is, and this brings up this question of where is consciousness located, mm-hmm. right? Is it in the brain? Is it in the head? Is it somewhere? Is there a little man in there? This, uh, the spirit, right? Or if you want to call this the I, this this person at the controls, you know, if this is kind of like a, 
some sort of a power plant in your Homer Simpson, per se. You know, is there someone in the controls making me talk to you right now and move my hands? The, the location of the, the I that I call exactly. I. Right. Like what <laughs> that is I call that? me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and everybody has one of these, you know. But the funny part is, and this is probably uh, something that's brought to you in uh, Psychology 101, is there's nothing you could do and convince me that you have one of those eyes in your head. Because life to me is, is a movie um, that's mo- mostly auditory and there's, there's, there's my senses and everything happens uh, in front of me. But I never get to see life through your eye, right? You can have uh, perspectives, but I still watch a movie or a uh, depiction of your life through my eyes, you know? So that, that's why it's difficult to really, when it gets into consciousness, is where, is, where does the consciousness start? Where does it end? And I'm not going to even, I think, attempt to answer that. <laughs> but there, there is no answer. Is really, really the, uh, the, short, the short answer, right? The well, I mean, many right. brilliant people have attempted to answer that and come up quite short. And I'm not, so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more so than you, than you know. But, y- yeah, it's like... I have this this I inside of me that does this thing, and, and you got that inside of you, and Lauren, you have that inside of you. Or, but I, I'm just assuming that you have it in sort of in, inside of you, and you're assuming it about me, right? Because as you said, Joe, we don't, uh, we we are never there. We can never be there. We can only be inside our own uh, I- little inner guy or gal. <laughs> right. But so this thing where they've tried to now we look at all this neuroscience and we see these things going on and these uh chemical reactions and and they have these ideas well this this and this of all of these thousands if not millions of factors come together it it bubbles up to this mm-hmm. thing that is conscious that mm-hmm. has the uh, self-reflecting awareness when you say uh, when the heart stops when life ends uh that it the standard sort of scientific belief now is that it it kind of that thing goes away it just mm-hmm. dissipates but we can't again know for sure if it just dissipates or does it does it go elsewhere was it elsewhere before mm-hmm. this person became a conscious being and then part of being coming conscious is bringing one of those right. in from wherever it might be right. is is there consciousness that just permeates everything mm-hmm. and, I, th- I think that's really one of the biggest questions now in, in that sphere, really, is what, can, what, what, attrib- what attributes do you need? Like, how do you really come up with a list of what, can, what one considers conscious or semi-conscious or what draws a line between that, right? Uh, I, I, I think, I, there's, there's an example I could give to you. Is, and this is from a, actually a, a Time article by uh, Stephen uh, Pinker, and he's a Harvard professor, and this is 2007, but it's very insightful, and it's really the scenario that brought about this type of thinking, but there was uh, this woman who had a very bad car car accident, and her her uh, skull was crushed very, very badly, and so basically, the sad, the, the sad story is that she was what you would call in, in a vegetative state, but um, in neuroscience, there's a lot of uh, kind of trial and error, let's say, where you try to probe the brain for types of uh, any type of signal, right? And this is kind of an electrical stimulated signal or blood flow, right? As a term of like a modern MRI with some of the newer methods. But what they what they noticed is when they tried, and these are researchers that were uh, looking at this patient, when they tried to uh, give conversations, she was very, very, very 
uh, unaware, unresponsive uh, physically. So if you were to look at if you were to look at this uh, this woman, she wouldn't really res- respond to anything, you know, whether auditory, visual. But what was interesting is once they probed her her brain, uh, any kind of conversation about her interests. Let's say she liked to play tennis. Uh, the blood flow would start to uh, increase in those areas of the brain that's associated with motor, uh, her motor skills and excitement. Uh, when they started to explain like types of music that she liked, that part of the brain would light up. And so what they found is this person is, you, you'd consider them with very minimal or no brain activity. And is this person, you know, taking off life support was, I guess, the big question. And these researchers, and this is a pretty s- special uh, example of this, but they they realized this brought up so many questions is, is this person still alive is he still con- uh, is she still conscious so i mean to me that that put a lot into perspective of hey you know there's there's much more there and it's inside as as you've mentioned robert it's inside the it's inside the brain's makeup the matter the the connections and the neurons is is really the scientific kind of um reasoning for it and uh there's one uh, very famous uh, researcher is Francis Crick, mm-hmm. the famous uh, from the famous Watson and Crick, who they developed. They got a Nobel Prize for developing the uh, structure of DNA. Mm-hmm. If you remember in the 50s, but he actually did a lot of work out here in California in La Jolla in the 90s. This is the, the last work he did in his life, and uh, he really wrote a book, right? And um, he called this the astonishing hypothesis. Uh, it's a pretty good read. He's uh, he's pretty. Uh, Opinionated, so he, he tends to draw a lot of uh, emotions from 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 the reader, uh, from you as a reader. Mm-hmm. But what he said is basically this, and here is what he means: what is the astonishing hypothesis is that everything that happens that you consider conscious is really nothing but chemical reactions and other physiological activity that happens in the tissue in the brain that can boil down from anything from molecules or and then some. You, could, you know. So, okay, well, what, that, what does that mean? That means that you can try to attribute all this to some form of, of scientific, uh, like a list of what's really happening in the brain. So you can basically start to write out, okay, these 200 reactions is what makes this person alive. And then, you know, Robert, you mentioned like, well, then we could probably do something like that and reproduce it. You know, the, all, these, all these questions come, come up of like what you can really do, what is considered conscious, and... Really, this at the time, this was actually very. Uh, it, it it jarred a lot of people because you know there's there's a, there's other opinions you know that of of really what people consider conscious, and he says no no it's it, he kind of simplified but his whole point was not really to get people mad was saying like hey look if we create a simplified framework we could try to approach to to explain this is really the reason why he did this uh, the Francis Crick Dr Crick, so and almost like well now we can at least test aspects of this mm-hmm. if I m- make this model that's uh, sort of a reductionist model. Mm-hmm. And the, the, now there are people who have uh, brought up other uh, factors that would sort of, you know, argue against that. Mm-hmm. That uh, there, uh, uh, you know, as I said before the show today, it's like if you say that you have this, 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 and this, and, and all these uh, neurochemical uh, factors, and you, you bring those together, you'll create uh, 
awareness, a, mm-hmm. a conscious being or conscious something. So yeah. how then we should be able to replicate that. Right. But is it uh, we're not able mm-hmm. so far? Yeah. Well, that's that's very interesting because what what came out of this hypothesis is now you have to kind of, I guess, let me paint a picture for you, and this is. Very interesting, because if this is what he's saying, this means that really all consciousness is, is this symphony or this cacophony of, of, of firing in your brain, right? Because your brain is very complex, meaning in the, ri- in the wiring, let's say if this were to look like a circuit board. And all the time, you're th- you know, the brain is thinking, whether you like or not, conscious, subconscious, uh, making your heart beat, as we mentioned, too, really thinking of what you need for dinner, are you hungry? you know things like that and when you when you put all this together you have millions and millions of processes going on and your your brain basically is is functioning at this level where all this is going on and and he means this is what uh, crick meant is that this this level of activity really makes you feel gives you this awareness right well and you say okay that that kind of is that's a very interesting topic but is it correct and I, I don't I don't think it's it's actually correct. That's my own opinion, um, yeah. because then you'd argue well a calculator can think very fast, and my computer has some random access memory, and it's doing millions of computations, and it can provide a summary list, and with that it can make some decisions, mm-hmm. right? But and, is it aware of itself? Right, and is it is it autonomous? You know, is another where AI starts to come in, and so, you know, that's like to me that 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 was it's a very profound statement that really you know what me being alive, there's not some little guy, you know, this I that's really there, but is it really just this firing back and forth, or or this kind of a of a of a, of, a, of a mental of a mental storm, you know, that makes me feel that I'm in control and, and, and alive, and I could, I could go much more into it. Yeah, no, but, but I, yeah, so if I could maybe kind of summarize yeah. that, it's like this thing that consciousness is, is, is not really real, that it's just this, this contrivance, there's this uh, mm-hmm. you know, cacophony of, of, as you, the word you used, uh, of things going on, and if it reaches a certain level, it, it sort of uh, gels into this thing that, that, mm-hmm. that, feels it is aware of itself but right. it's just it's just all just really contrived mm-hmm. and there's nothing there's no real there there mm-hmm. and um in a certain weird sense that kind of ties in with eastern mysticism and the idea that everything is not really real mm-hmm. and uh, so anyways i want to try to bring uh, lauren into the conversation here so um one of the things uh Joe, that w- that we were talking about last night is this this idea that it's really hard to s- study consciousness because we are conscious beings. So consciousness trying to study itself and to to really be able to study something, you need to sort of be able to step outside of it to see what is not it. And mm-hmm. and we can't really do that. But what we can do is we can step into altered states of consciousness, mm-hmm. and that gives you a a different perspective. And you know. There are all kinds of different altered states, and the ones that we get into through the use of uh, psychedelic compounds, that's very fascinating. But one that really interests me a lot as well is the notion of dreaming, which is an altered state of consciousness, and particularly lucid dreaming. And uh, this is a thing 
that got me really interested in what uh, you have to say, Lauren. Mm-hmm. And we had an amazing conversation uh, one evening here at the station <laughs> after we had both done our uh, shows for that day. Right. And uh, I found out that, I mean, I talk to a lot of people who do a lot of dreaming. Mm-hmm. And I found out that you are a frequent lucid dreamer. And this really kind of blew my mind, the, the level to which you say that you do this. And um, first of all, those who aren't aware, when we mention lucid dreaming, we're talking about a dream wherein that you know you are dreaming while you are having the dream. And uh, this has been touched on in some movies, most recently in the film Inception. And uh, so... Lauren, when did you first start having these types of dreams, these dreams where you knew you were dreaming Mm -hmm. and you therefore realized that you could kind of control what was going on in the dream? Mm -hmm. Everything, not just you, the character, you in the dream, but other things around you in the dream you could control because you were aware that this was your creation. It was a dream that you were in. Did you start doing this as a small child? Yeah. Um, I remember doing this since I was a kid because there was actually a point in my childhood where I had way too many bad dreams at a time, like nightmares, and um, so it was suggested that I create a, a dream journal for myself, which is the only reason why I even remember this. But there's just something that I would like to point out um, before we start talking about these dreams, is that the moment that you wake up from a dream and you realize that you have dreamed, that's when you actually, that's when you actually realize, realize, you connect everything, you collect all the information that you had throughout the dream. From then on, you've already altered it. Does uh, that make sense? You've already altered it. So it's kind of like the question, hmm. I guess the question with consciousness is like, is how is consciousness, is it real or not? But since you've already altered it, it's like how, um, I don't know, how clear is your memory of it? You know, how, mm-hmm. like, yeah, how much authority can you can you give to one dream? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's just something that I want to point out there. Um, whatever I talk about now, I don't know, like... I think they're pretty accurate because in my dream journal, I wake up and I would write. So there's there's a certain time limit between when you wake up to when you recollect the dream. So when you actually write it down on how um, authentic it is. So right. Well, yeah. you know, but I would <laughs> I would also say that about waking reality that um, Joe here and I had this conversation last night, and we're recounting some of this, but we may be remembering it in a sort of skewed manner, and. Now, there, however, there is the sort of the difference in the in waking reality that I can mention my memory of it, and Joe can mention his memory of it, and we can compare. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little different than when you wake up from a dream. Right. Mm-hmm. You, those, those dream characters haven't jumped out of there and are now with you, and right. you can compare notes. But a really interesting thing is when you're in the dream Mm -hmm. and then you are actually comparing notes with characters and i i believe you said this lauren that you have dreams wherein you remember a whole history and you remember like doing other things in the past in that dream is that correct that you like sort of well, I know you mentioned you have the the false awakenings that where you awake oh, within yeah. the dream and you think you're awake, uh-huh. and so you sort of remember being mm-hmm. asleep in that dream. Mm-hmm. So, could you talk a little bit about that sure. about doing that and how that makes you feel as far as like what is real? Sure, sure. Um, I'll give you two examples. Um, the first one, which is when I was much younger, if it would be a 
probably twice in an actually it's interesting yeah probably twice in a night um i would go through a dream a bad dream full out like all the way through once and then i don't even know if there's a time of of knowing when it starts again but it just did it started all over again to the point where i was like this is the same exact thing that i just went through and i know everything exactly how it's going to happen and um i was able to I was able to alter some things, like, um, I don't know, to just give you some mental um, description, it's um, me and a group are being chased by these, like, bad people, and um, I, like, I don't know, I have, like, powers or something like that, so I'm able to, I'm able to let the character save themselves um, through the powers that I have to, like, move them or whatever. Um, so then the second time we go into the dream, the same thing happens again, except this time I try, I don't know. I say, oh, okay, we'll do something different this time, we'll do something different. But um, in the end, it always ends up kind of like nothing really changed, ultimately. Like, all the little steps that you did to try to change it, we still got caught, you know? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I still got caught in some way. Um, by the bad guys? Yeah, by the bad guys. And I know you're, you're talking about controlling every aspect of it, Um I find that in some dreams, the smaller ones, I am able to do that, turn things on and off, um, rewind and fast forward (laughs) some dreams, which is pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah, turn the color on, turn the color off, you know, something like that. I've had dreams like that. Those are smaller ones, but the more eventful ones, I think the the weirder ones are the ones where I try my best to control it, but I can't. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, I also had a dream where I... This is the lucid dream that you're talking about, I guess, but I don't know how lucid this is because I would wake up, notice that my room looked completely different than where I was supposed to wake up. So I'm like, okay, this isn't right. Close. So in my dream, I close my eyes really, really tight, and I feel like I could feel that, and then try my best to open them again. And there's a lot of pressure on your eyelids, mm-hmm. so it's very difficult to open it. But every single time I would open my eyes again, it would be a lot closer to what my actual room would look like, but still com- something different, and I would feel it. Like, there was one time I opened my eyes, and I was like, okay, finally, I'm awake. But everything was reversed. Everything was on the opposite side of where it should have been. And I didn't recognize that till later on. And then I was like, oh, my God, crap. You know, <laughs> like, dang it, now I have to do this all over again. But the most interesting one is when you actually do wake up. When I actually woke up, that's the hardest one. It's like the hardest thing to do, to open your eyes from that. It's the most difficult, most exhausting. When you finally wake up to what we all consider consensus reality. Mm-hmm. That, My room. That's the hardest uh, physically or emotionally? Both. Because emotion, well, emotionally, your mind is extremely exhausted already um, to trying to wake up over and over again and then just finding out that it kind of failed and knowing that there's something inside that's like really bugging you and you just want to get out of it and wake up already like you can't do this anymore physically my eyes were like oh my gosh it was like i was trying to pry them open that's how that that's what it felt like and then by the time i woke up everything's like blurry because it's like my eyes were just shut and then trying to open them and they're so easy to close again even then, I don't even know if that's really waking up, you know, because it's so easy to, like, open your eyes and close. I could tell that I woke up, but I'm falling asleep so fast that everything just starts looping again hmm. into, like, a dream. And that dream that I'm talking about, I went through five wake-ups. Five, yeah, so yeah. that that makes us think of uh, the movie Inception. And yeah. did, they, did they go down four or five levels in that dream? I, and think, in, in the, I think it was four. No. 
Yeah, three I agree. planned, one extra. Yeah. yeah. And and it's just like uh, I I really liked how that movie explored that thing because it's it's there are people like you who do that. That's a lucid dream, right? Just to clarify what Well, I, to me lucid means about. that you're aware that you're dreaming while you're dreaming and they they were. Mm-hmm. So and but they they had like sort of techniques to kind of right. uh, uh, and they were sort of like tr- making it where they were entering into somebody else's dream and that they mm-hmm. would be lucid. They would know they're dreaming and that they didn't want the person they were trying to get over on, whatever they were trying to do to that person, to know that he or she was dreaming. Mm-hmm. And that, th- isn't that what you were saying, Joe, why they were building the, the sort of mazes right. and labyrinths? They, they had an architect, really. Mm-hmm. And what, what I remember was that her role was to make it so that whoever was in charge of the dream, whoever's dream it was, to keep focus mm-hmm. on complex, let's say, co- complex uh, designs of buildings, stairways, roads. Uh, so, therefore, he doesn't take time to step out and start to look at and realize, hey. Something's funny something's here. Something's funny here. And then you, you start to, you know, it doesn't, it becomes that you start to realize it's not what you know as reality, right? And it's different. So then, you know, the dreams fooled, and then they wake up and, and, and in the movie, not to spoil it. <laughs> you know, they don't want that to happen, though. They don't want that to happen. So, and that's very interesting with, uh, with, with you said, Lauren, because it seems to me like you have that control. You're able to, and maybe this is training from, from your, uh, your, your, your dream diary, mm-hmm. but you're able to basically be in your dream and have this, oh, oh I guess, not cliche, cliche, but you have an awareness mm-hmm. of how you're supposed to feel in these dreams, kind of from note-taking and kind of really close uh, observation, which is really neat because a lot of people want to be able to be in charge of their dreams, right? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and I, there are certainly implications with, with dreaming in general, but I think more particularly with lucid dreams, f- implications for this whole notion of consciousness, of w- why we can't, figure out exactly what consciousness is mm-hmm. and uh that uh, even if it is as uh th- this sort of reductionist thing as uh crick says in the, in his one book it still is like we, there there's a lot more we can do with consciousness mm-hmm. and that we're sort of uh selling ourselves short when we don't go into these other places and don't uh realize that we can uh do much more with it because i think you are at this higher level of awareness when you're in a lucid dream when you're in that dream where you it's you you are no longer passive when you're in a lucid dream you are Mm -hmm. now like wait a minute this is this is created this is created by my mind and so I, i can therefore alter it and then you if you take that notion and you bring that over into waking life, then all of a sudden now you have like something really bizarre you're dealing with. And it, and it doesn't mean that you have to say, oh, okay, um, this world that we all say is consensus reality, I think it's just a dream. I'm going to jump in front of this car and it won't be able to kill me. Yeah, I mean, n- nobody's going to do that, or at least there are no reports of that. But But it does say, well, okay... 
I'm able to 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 really kind of tweak reality in that lucid dream. I'm able to to not just control me, the thing I call me. I'm able to control other aspects mm-hmm. and make uh, things move without actually touching them. And I called it morphing when I was younger. Right. I wrote it a lot. It's called morphing. Like literally everything morphs into something, and then I do it over and over again um, to try to fix it or whatever the problem was yeah and, and I, yeah I, I think that's what many people the, the sort of community of people that talk about this maybe in online discussion groups yeah morphing I morphed it into this yeah. and, and, you know what implications does that have for uh, consciousness at large and uh, the uh, did, did you have anything to add on that Joe mm. well I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a good dreamer. <laughs> so I really, I, I think it's fascinating, really, what, what Lauren's saying. And to me, it's this whole idea of what we were talking before, and, and you mentioned, Robert, of almost like a self-reference, right? But, and then Lauren mentioned that, well, as soon as, as soon as you wake up and start to think about it, you've altered that, right? And it goes right back to this idea of consciousness. Mm-hmm. When... You try to really explain that. Are you really? You only can really do that through the self-reference of of what you see. But you can't really get anybody else in on this. How do you do an experiment that way? And the way they do is they ask for feedback, right? You use your brain as a as a, a you know a test tube. <laughs> they change one thing. They shock you with an electrode. They give you some sort of chemical, and see what happens. So you know. Yeah, I had the stream where they. Uh, <laughs> I was experimented on, I think. There are different experiments in it. Like, there was this one dream where they actually had a had somebody who, um, I don't know, who, like, I know it sounds really, like, like crazy, but, like, chased me around and, like, hit, like, hit me with, like, a, like, a, 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 not a whip, but, like, some kind of string or something mm-hmm. to see precisely where I would move. But then the next time that the guy came in to do that, I tried figuring it out to like move around and like maneuver but the thing is with the guy i felt like because i already knew what i would do he would know what i would do already so then it became like an altered thing like whatever i know he knows Mm -hmm. so i can't know what i'm gonna do because then they're gonna know and i'm gonna get hurt anyway so what if what happens if i just sit there i tried that i I got hurt (laughs) (laughs) a lot (laughs) well you you know this is a thing it's like what's going on i think in in dreams like that is that you, it, uh, many people don't understand this, and this is a really interesting interpretation uh, or way of looking at dreams, is that there's you, your ego in the dream, that's you, then there are all these other characters in the dream, but they are also aspects of you. And so these guys, even the ones that are bad guys, they're out to get you. It's like little bits of your consciousness. It's sort of like they've split off, and and you, the main sort of ego you uh has allowed that it's sort of like this weird game of playing sort of like peekaboo and that oh i have forgotten that that's also me because i'm playing this really interesting game and sometimes it's a really scary game Mm -hmm. but it's this thing that it actually uh it it does it's it's like a challenge to consciousness and it sort of makes you grow and and there's some aspect of yourself that sort of like knows all of this and uh but it it wants you in this world the the re- 
the consciousness you are in this world to sort of grow in a certain way and it does that and plays those games and lets those those entities split off from you and and you not be aware that it's also really you and this ties into um some uh, notions in eastern mysticism that there is this uh uh this creator or this deity that that does that actually does that in our waking world and that w- we are all it we are all just part of this one sort of super awareness and but we forget that we're that and that's why there's all this drama in this world and there ultimately it's like you remember that wow it's all just one and isn't that isn't that amazing but then once you're there that gets boring after a while so you again split yourself off into these different parts who go into this amnesiac state and 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 this this is what happens with me in a lot of lucid dreams is that i uh come to that awareness that wow i'm the god of this realm this this world around me has been created by my mind and i can do whatever i want and i can have every character in this world just bow to my will and you know mm-hmm. uh, i am the great king and and then it's just like well you play a few little games like that and then it just gets kind of boring because these these entities in your dream the other characters have no autonomy have no free will mm-hmm. and so then you're like okay wait a minute i'm <laughs> going to like let these guys make choices for themselves and then they don't always make the choice that you want but but it's an interesting game but then it can get frustrating oh, yeah. and then then it's like but then sometimes you forget that you're you're dreaming and that you're the guy creating all this and then it just goes back into a normal dream and it's really scary because you can't go wait a minute it's my dream i can change it so it's this whole thing <laughs> of dancing that that mm-hmm. on that line right in mm-hmm. the middle and you're not in your head yeah. uh, lauren it like it feels like that yeah it definitely feels like that. Like if you, if, if I'm lucky enough to feel like I can control it, once I try to do that and manipulate, like I said, it, it doesn't turn out. Yeah, it doesn't turn out the way I really wanted to. Like never. And I wonder, is that supposed? Is that um? Sometimes I wondered that too. Like, am I doing that on purpose? You know, am I not letting it go exactly the way I went on purpose? Because if it, it went exactly the way I wanted it to, I already knew that. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing <laughs> exciting about that you know right it's it's like uh like you know i mentioned peekaboo and hide and seek these games we play when we're a kid if like if you know where everybody is it's not fun there's no game to it It, Mm -hmm. there's this whole challenge of figuring it out but i mean i've had those dreams where i stayed in total control and and it's kind of fun at first and it's exciting Mm -hmm. and then sometimes it's like i get so excited by this crazy fantasy i'm fulfilling that i just wake up Mm-hmm. Or, you know, sometimes I just drift enough. back into uh, the, uh, you know, unawareness. But um, uh, let's talk a little bit more about some other uh, methods of sort of altering consciousness that have implications for, you know, what is consciousness. And uh, I know one, uh, Joe, that we've talked about is the use of psychoactive substances mm-hmm. and um i've had a, a fair amount of experience with that and I, and I think you've had a little and you've been around some some people that have done these kinds of things and wh- do you have any uh, sort of insights about those compounds and and what that means for our understanding of all of this right uh yeah for, for me i see I, I guess i can go let's start where where i where i left off and that's really if you're focusing on the brain 
and there's going to Eastern religion uh, or Eastern mysticism, excuse me. Uh, there were different glands in the in 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 the head that had certain properties. One of these was the pineal gland, and a lot of people at the time thought that was kind of where the soul was located. And this is even considered with uh, with with medicine at the time, uh, hundreds of years ago. And the one interesting thing is, if you get that removed, some people uh, develop a tumor there. What happens, right? Does this person no longer have a soul? And uh, this this gland is really responsible for bringing about uh, what 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 people would consider as near death experiences. Uh, not to go too too much into that, but mm. um, uh, th- there's a drug, uh, dimethyltryptamine, which basically has the exact same effect. It can be synthesized from the perineal gland or basically taken from plants. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a pretty hot uh, drug that people use. And the, the, one, the one thing that's interesting is anyone that you've known that's had a near-death experience or what they consider a near-death experience is they say it's so vivid, it's so strong. And I'm not trying to say that I don't believe it happened. I don't know. But what I'm, what I'm really referring to is kind of from the chemical perspective of people having... Uh, trips <laughs> mm-hmm. where they swear that what they experienced was a hundred percent real you know this was really in their in their mind and then went out into regular reality and after after it they wore off or maybe it didn't wear off this is the life they live right this is the reality this is the reality those two have come into play it's it's not in the periphery it's actually it becomes central to how you were operating at that time, so wh- these people have have experiences of being on board a spaceship, talking, talking with weird little entities, talking with God, yes, talking with God, talking mm-hmm. with ancestor spirits, and these people are fairly rational people, and then mm-hmm. they come back and they they are utterly convinced that this was completely real, right? And uh, you know, so. If it's not real, whatever <laughs> real means, it's like, wow. I mean, what does that say about consciousness that exactly. it can actually go somewhere that, let's say, is not real, mm-hmm. and and that, but it is completely convinced that it is. And and this is what, of course, happens in dreams when we're not in a lucid dream, and that's why it's a scare. It's scary because we are utterly convinced that that is reality. Mm-hmm. We are in a real place. And then when we're in the lucid dream, it's like it's, okay, we know it's not real, we know we're creating it, but then it it's it becomes almost like hyper-real, because yeah. then it's like mm-hmm. this reality that, well, it's not the reality that everyone agrees upon, but yet it's something I'm creating right now, I'm going to make it something amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, that ties back again to the movie uh, Inception. We're just about out of time here, and I, wow, I wish we had another hour, yeah. but... Um, <laughs> Uh, either of you want to say something really quick that you know, want to make sure we got into this conversation today? Um, I think if you kind of look back into um, historical context and see how, like, for example, religion. <laughs> see, a lot of people refer back to religion, interpret it the way they want it to. Mm-hmm. Most, a lot of them say this is from a dream, swear that it, this happened, you know? But what, like, like I said, that's what, that's what I think about so much is that the way people are interpreting, I don't know, dreams mm-hmm. or some kind of, you know, like, oh, message from God or something like that. The way they're interpreting it gets put into like a text where other people can interpret it or believe it or take it as something 
that they believe really happen to one person, mm -hmm. so it's possible to happen to them. And then it creates this cycle, the cycle of possibility of, of what kind of consciousness you can have or what kind of dreams you can have. Because I, I don't know, somehow I kind of believe that it's like, these dreams, I wouldn't be able to understand them unless there was something in my, you know, in my living life, in my, in Waking. the life that I think is reality mm -hmm. that kind of like helps me identify exactly what happened, mm -hmm. helps me understand what happened to be able to critically analyze that. So I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, let's say, for example, society didn't no. exist and I was the only one there and I had these dreams. I wrote a book and said, oh, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. They read the book and say like, oh, crap, like, oh, excuse me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like yeah. this, like this happened to this person. And and then I think this is because of this, because of this, because of this, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then their dreams can be based off of, you know, significantly off of images, feelings right. from that kind of reality, you know? So it's like a, I don't know, consciousness like connected. Oh, sorry. No, no that's great. That great thought. Uh, so Joe, like quick wrap up thought. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally agree with Lauren. And right now, neuro, uh, neuroscience has is just amazing there's so much coming out of that and yeah a lot of consciousness as as frick said uh, uh crick said crick. is excuse me is uh is uh is learned right that's why when you're a, a baby you don't have memories to really draw upon as you were saying as you get older you start to have this consciousness where i am you know const constructive a free thinker no one remembers when they're five months old really mm -hmm. but it's these memories i say that's a guitar i'm in a dream you know, that is a person. So, Okay, we we got to wrap up here. Uh, Joe, uh, amazing insights. Thanks for spending the time with us today. And Lauren, uh, great uh, thoughts as well. And your show, uh, Activism for Amateurs, Amateurs mm -hmm. uh, Thursdays, mm -hmm. 8 to 9 a.m. here on KUCI in Irvine. And so that pretty much wraps it up. I'll remind you once more, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. If you want to give me some feedback on the show, you can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You want to be... Uh, Stay tuned here because we've got coming up in just a couple minutes, Matt Kaplan with his usual early Thursday evening fair, uh, Counterspin and Planetary Radio. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. Robert Larson here, Out the Rabbit Hole. I will be talking to you next week.